Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. for tuning in to American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy every Wednesday at noon, except, folks, I missed last Wednesday. I got to apologize. I was on the road recruiting, and there's no way in the world I could get the program done. But we are back, and we're continuing now in our fifth year of American Tennis, where we discuss many things. Uh, Golly, uh, political, not and then also instructional and sometimes not. But we're talking about American tennis, and our goal here is to help American tennis always. And we encourage you to stand up, speak out, say what needs to be said every time that I talk to parents at tournaments. And I give them my handout on American tennis and uh, exactly what it should hit. Uh, it is the the talking points of why we should keep our traditional scoring system and the heritage and our history intact. They say, what can I do? What should I do? I said, a squeaky wheel gets the oil, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. So, but stand up, speak out, say the things that need to be said, address issues, not people. Folks, you can say anything you want to say. This is the United States of America and do not bend over and bow down to the statue of political correctness. And uh, you've got to be able to stand up and say what's going on. And, uh, and, and I've got to tell you the truth that just about every call that I get during the week uh, from coaches, from players, from parents, they're all saying the same thing. Oh, my golly, we had uh, one, one coach – a, a, a teaching pro said, my ladies had to play at Hilton Head two weeks ago, and they worked like crazy to get to that tournament, and then it rained. And then to win the semifinals match, they made them actually flip coins, flip coins 
to see who the team that advanced to the finals, to play in the finals for semifinal match. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that? And, oh, my golly, was he frustrated. He just he just uh, said he blew a stack a little bit, and then he said maybe some things he shouldn't say. But, dang, God, what are you supposed to do when you're coaching people and they flip coins? Uh, you know, go out and run a foot race, play two out of three points, do something, but that's just, sorry, silly. I was going to call it the stupidest, but let's call it the silliest, silliest thing that I have ever heard about flipping coins, but they do it. USDA does this sometimes, you know, and then they do the abbreviated scoring, and then they have bastardized the game so much with this abbreviated scoring and uh, everything, but all of these things, coaches call, and and the coach called me who's a a high, is very great developmental coach, and he – has turned out a lot of champions, national champions on the college side and also on the junior side. He said, we don't have a sport anymore. We have an after-school activity. We're not coaching a sport. What in the world are we doing? We're not pursuing excellence with the way the bar has been lowered. So they all ask me, what can I do? Stand up, speak out. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. If it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. But we need to push back against this liberalism, this socialist approach, socialist approach to tennis. And I want to talk just a little bit today about freedom and freedom in coaching. But also, before the program's over, I want to give you a very simple skeleton framework to where you can go develop your own players or your own games if you just stick to sort of the skeleton that I will give you. It's not, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to say, take this hill. I'm not going to tell you how to take it. The goal is the same for everybody. We need incentives. We don't need systems. We need incentives, but I'm going to give you some framework. And then again, again, it's about freedom. It's about individuality and it's about your own individual initiative. When high school coaches call me and they say, we have all of these restrictions placed on us now. We can't work with our players here. We can't work with the players there. We can't do that. Everybody's afraid we might overwork everybody. What garbage. What garbage. Why Why has athletics, by the way, been used as the poster boy or the, the benchmark for political correctness and for dumbing down? I don't see anybody saying that a the clarinet player can only practice three hours a day or four hours a day or two hours a day. And by the way, they can only be in 10 competitions a year or they, it's too hard on them. Why in the world have we used athletics for all of this nonsense? But everybody hates interference from centralized government. We have it in tennis, USTA. You know, you guys uh, goofed up when you started going to player development. You know, there was a push on back in the 80s, 86, 1986, 87. Because I know because I worked, I did a lot of stuff for the USTA when it was basically a support organization and it was an educational organization. But once they got into player development, boy, oh, boy, you know, have we gummed up the works here. Have we gummed up the works? They uh, too many 
too many uh, stipulations, too much structure, too many smart people, too many, too many times has Barney started running Mayberry because and doing things because they can, not because they should. Any high school teacher will tell you they hate centralized government and they hate the um, National Education Association or whatever, dictating them whether it's Common Core or No Child Left Behind or anything. Because ownership is the most important thing. Coach's ownership, a teacher's ownership, to be able to do those things that they feel is, are the most important things for their classroom or for their teachers is critical. Ownership is important. Golly, I mean, everybody knows what's the difference. How do you feel about that uh, car that you bought on your own versus the one you rent? Ownership matters. It matters a lot. How, uh, every one of us as coaches knows that when you have a team practice and the players take initiative and they're motivated and they're driven and they start doing the work on their own, it is fantastic. The minute, though, that they depend on what do we do next, coach? Hey, coach, what is the rules on this game? Do we do this? This is the rule. That is the rule. It drives you crazy. The the players, the kids should be out there dictating, hey, I need more backhands. I need more of this. I need more of that. Yes, the coach is there for structure. When, and the, the coach is also there to push the intensity. But it's up to the individuality of the players. The players make the players. It's not the coaches. It's not the system. It's not the USTA. The USTA doesn't make any players. The player makes the player. The player decides, and the more that government gives you something, the more that government gives you a welfare program and they put stipulations on it, the less the player initiative is there. The wise, wise saying that I've heard is the, uh, <laughs> along, you know, the only free cheese comes in a mousetrap. And that is exactly true when you're talking about centralized government of any type telling you what to do all the time. Yeah, you need structure. You need structure. You know, this is uh, it's, it's just a very, very important thing. Now, I wanted to give you all something that's, that's very profound, but, uh, you know, I work at a military college. I work at the Citadel, which is a fantastic place, and it's been here for 175 years right now, 175 years, if you could believe it. It's fantastic, uh, the traditions, the heritage, everything. I walk around all day long, and there are diamonds everywhere to pick up, you know, and long-established things that are just beautiful. Now, people ask me, well, isn't that overstructured? Isn't that overstructured? I said, it is on the outside, the skeleton program, on the outside teaches you chain of command. It teaches young people that this position is only through time or merit. You only advance through time or through merit. Everybody has the same starting place. Not everyone has the same finishing place. But the beautiful, beautiful thing about it is that the structure on the outside is fantastic. The freedom of the individual to grow on the inside is more fantastic. I see 
people, young men and young women, by the time they're 22 or 23 years old, they're 32 or 33 maturity-wise and mentally and emotionally because they are individuals on the inside. And isn't that what God meant? Didn't God make every one of us, every person, an individual on the inside? So when people talk about diversity, diversity this, diversity that, you know, let's live together, kumbaya, and they preach the outside, oh, we want a mixture on the outside, everybody. I mean, my golly, we have people painting their hair, wearing earrings all over the place. Everybody's got all these tattoos now. Everybody is trying to be diverse, and we've got to accept everything on the outside. But on the inside of the person, the conformity and the push with political correctness and conformity has never been more strong. I mean, I hope that makes sense to you. So on the outside, we're pushing diversity on the outside and conformity on the inside. It should be conformity on the outside in the structures of society, in the norms of society, and you know what? The pecking order of society and the chains, the normal chains of command and respect for God family and country and God family and country and God family and country the respect for those should be there in our institutions so the conformity on the outside there is good but the inside on the inside God made us all individual freedom should happen there on the inside so unless you have ownership you will never go deep enough, though, or if you're not an individual, you will never go deep enough in anything, anything, to ever be excellent at something. So my wife is an artist. She uh, she does a lot of artwork. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> when I, we first started dating and things many years ago, um, she used to, we whenever we were in a city, New York or anywhere, I don't care, Columbia, South Carolina, Charlotte, New York, Indianapolis, anywhere, you know, she would always want to go to the museums, the art museums. And before even looking at the sign, she would say, oh, that's a Remois. Oh, that's a Gauguin. That's a Paul Gauguin. Oh, there, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I just love Van Gogh. And whoa, there's one over there. Can't you tell, Charlie? She called me Charlie. Can't you tell that's a Van Gogh? Every great artist has their individual artwork and stroke work. Now, isn't it the same with music? Isn't it the same with music? I mean, we have classical music, we have jazz, we have beach music down here in South Carolina. My golly, folks, you want to have a ball? This shag dancing is really something else down here in the South in beach music. My wife loves to go to those shag, uh, you know, the shag dancing style. And, you know, I'd I guess the joke is I only do do disco uh, dancing, you know, my feet, disco here, disco dare, disco dear, disco dare. And so that's a bad one. (laughs) But my wife, anyhow, she loves the shag dancing. But everything about music is unique, and every group is unique, and everybody has their own style. Don't you see how valuable that is? And, And every football, basketball player, don't they have their own unique style? If you, They don't need a number when you look at a throwing style or a running style. Or A tennis player, I've often said from 
200 yards away, I don't need to see the faces. I, I look at the strokes, and every person's stroke is unique. There is no cookie-cutter technique. Everyone is unique. Every child is unique. Every individual is unique. This is what we need to be preaching. So I think that in their their good intentions, the good intentions, a lot of, a lot of crummy careers start with the pathway of good intentions, I think. You know, but the good intentions to overstructure, you know, to structure, it, look, we understand. A lot of good people do this, but in the end, in the end, it's the individual strokes that need to be there and the individual styles that need to be there. And whether the person has an aggressive style, a counter-punching style, a grinding style, it has a whole lot to do with what is on the inside of that individual trying to come out. And, you know, I, I happen to think too many cooks uh, in the intro to the program to the program today, it said too many cooks often spoil the broth and ruin a player. Well, what I mean by that is when you have everybody trying to implement their style on your child, you can have some problems. Now, it's not about just the strokes. It's about the way they play, the way they think about the game and their construction of the game. Somewhere along the line, your child, every child has to take ownership for their own game. I have to coach the way I'm going to coach. <clears throat> the great Dick Gould was uh, the man for the past. Probably the greatest college coach in history has been Dick Gould. All right, and people used to say to me, well, Dick Gould does this and Dick Gould does that. I said, you know what? You know, I can't argue with the great success of 13 national championships or something. But I'm not Dick Gould, and he would tell you he doesn't want to be, try to be Chuck Creasy. Probably he doesn't want to be the great Glenn Bassett, or the great Glenn Basket was not the great Dick Leach, and the great Dick Leach was not the great Dave Snyder. And oh my golly, did I love the great Tut Bartz and the TCU! I got to see all of these great coaches and and uh, witness what they did. But every one of them were unique. They had similar fundamentals but unique styles. So if you're a parent out there listening today, your child is individual. If you have four children, five children, or eight children, they all play tennis, they all will develop a different style of play. And you've got to let them be who God made them. And then listen, if you're a coach out there, yes, 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 put the skeleton framework down and allow the youngsters, allow, but Put it down there and, and stick the fundamentals. I'm not telling you not to stick the fundamentals. And the thing that I'm not good at, folks, is, you know, I uh, with, with the fundamentals is that I absolutely, with the fundamentals, will stick to my guns 100% when it comes to footwork. I am, I am awful. I'm a dictator when it comes to footwork. Because right now, unless you move to the ball properly and have good recovery steps, this game is just too fast. So you're saying, Coach Creasy, you're a little bit too dictatorial there, and maybe you're not letting them have enough freedom on the freeway of their game. 
No, look, uh, I tell everybody this footwork is non-compromising. Upper body, though, I do not try to change people's styles and stroke patterns. I think I tell parents the upper body is kinesthetic. Lower body is repetitive, 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 repeat, repeat, repeat. And uh, some things are just like that. So, you know, how you move now is so, so critical. But think about we're making a mistake, I think, in our teaching, and that when we do teach, we teach, we over-mechanicalize. Is that a word? We overuse the mechanics and the we over-discipline the upper body and we under-discipline the movement. We all sort of believe, you know, Yvonne Gulagong, I think, about her, how she used to run as a tennis player on the court. And her dance steps and her movement was not schooled. It was just completely free. And back in the days where the wood rackets, it only took two sec- uh, four, it took four point, 3.9 seconds, actually, for a ball on the average to go to the opponent and come back. And now it's two seconds. It's twice as fast with the ball striking. Back in those days, you could have sort of, creative footwork but now the footwork has to be right on locked in and excellent movement to the ball and great recovery steps back or you will get hit you'll you'll out hit your movement the movement is not fast enough to keep up with the ball striking (laughs) just no way no how can you stay with the symmetry of the game so I, unless you have perfect footwork, and um, again, there's a lot of it on online. I, I I think I've told you before to go to Richard Cornick, K-O-R-N-E-C-K, Richard Cornick Tennis. He's got some good uh, good how to dos, and one a couple of my YouTube videos. Uh, you can go to Chuck Creasy on YouTube and. You can see my videos I used to do with kids when I was working with kids a lot, and I'll show you a lot of the footwork. But most of the coaches are up on it now. But overlearn the footwork and allow youngsters to develop kinesthetically their upper body. But freedom, freedom, every piece of art, every music, every actor is unique, every person is unique on this earth what is on the inside is unique of us but the road map the road map is a consistent one it's a consistent road map to freedom freedom in developing your own personal game i want to give you a little bit of a rundown today and we're just going to keep the program sort of short today but i'm going to give a little bit of a rundown on sort of how how to go after this skeleton program, and then you build your freedom game on top of this this uh, skeleton, and uh, this will sort of help you help you out. Uh, I've always broken the game into three parts. Um, again, my books, my uh, five tennis books are out there. But Total Tennis Training was my first that I hand-wrote back in 1987. And when I had to break the structure, when I got the contract to write the book, it was quite an exciting time, but I was under the gun. And I remember I worked nonstop around the clock. I had papers all over the, the condominium where I was living at the time, and I broke it down into three, 
three places in the room, and I just had papers all over the place. I put all my notes from 15 years of coaching <clears throat> into that uh, that book. I had a big old pile, and the way I did it was that I had three parts of the room, the physical, the mental, and the emotional part of the game. I had those those all broken down. And the physical part of the game, oh, I just had a coach call in. I'm hoping I can get him on the line here in a little bit. Hey, Coach, if you can, I know you're in the tournament, but that would be awesome to have you on. But I wanted to go through, okay, so I broke it down into the physical part of the game. And the physical part of the game had everything to do with the fitness, the stretching, the weight program, the running, and the technical skills as well, and the diet as well, and the fitness, and the first aid, and everything that has to do with what you do mechanically on the physical side. Now, again, this is the skeleton outline. The skeleton outline I did primarily uh, your job is to build after you you take these things into account is to give your player a skeleton outline, but let them fall into their style. Let them fall into their own style, whether they're going to be an attacking player, a counterpuncher, a grinder, or an all-court player, and it has more to do with their personality, folks, than it does with their skill set a lot of times. So the, the physical part is the first part. And then Put all of those in the same book. And, again, my book that's out there right now that you can still get it on Amazon is called Coaching Tennis, just Coaching Tennis, and it's Chuck Creasy, Coaching Tennis. It was, uh, it's by McGraw-Hill, has it still in print. So that is a much updated book, but it will help you. But it's broken down into the physical part. The mental part is simply the shot selection, and we used – the Wardlaw Directionals, and then I do a thing called Three-Dimensional Tennis also. Then Gelder and Three-Dimensional Tennis, I mentioned that, but primarily the Wardlaw Directionals. Folks, I still haven't seen a better system than this to teach your youngster where they should be trying to hit the ball. So the how part is the physical. The where part is the the shot selection and your directionals. The when part, so it's how, where, when. The when part, the when, is the momentum control. And you will nowhere in the world except this guy in Great Britain. And I, uh, that book came out after I went there and gave a talk in 1991, actually. And I'm glad about it, but it, momentum control, momentum is the most powerful force in sports. My book, Chapter 12, is probably the one of the top places where you can learn about momentum control in tennis and in sports. So the how, the where, the when, and then the why is the most important part. And the why comes first. And the coach that I have uh, on cue to come up here had me read a great book, said the why comes first. But the emotional part of it is also the balance that you have to have in order for your hand-eye coordination to work. The clutch part is the emotion part. So it's how, where, when, and why. And that's your structure, folks. And, again, my book is called Coaching Tennis. And I know he's limited time today. So I go, Coach Randy, is that is this you this morning? Is that you, Coach? Yeah. Yes, yeah. How are you doing, Coach? I uh, I called in. I just got a uh, 
you know, I heard a little bit of what you're talking about. Basically, I just called in to encourage everybody that's listening to to please pay attention. There's just so many. There's a lot of coaches out there that know the ABCs and one, two, threes. There's very few coaches that know how to help coaches get to the next level and how to help players and how to help parents. And you're one of the few if, if, that I've met in the last 20 years, and in, uh, in, it's something that's missing. Everybody's always asking, where's the next Grand Slam champion? And there's only a handful of people that know how to formulate the right culture that we would be producing those players, you know, multiple times uh, in a decade. So it's, you know, and I think you're, you're one, and I encourage everybody to listen to what you're saying because as soon as this game's so tough, that when you get beat up emotionally, everybody wants to go back to skill set, and then they cookie cutter the skill set, and and it just doesn't. It wouldn't work in any sport, let alone tennis. So, um, and and just very few people have the wisdom and knowledge to understand this and know the right time to say what to the to the players, the parents, and and uh, how to help the coaches understand what what to look for in those situations. So. Um, and, and you're doing another great job today explaining it. So um, that's why I called in. Um, well, and, good. Could, uh, could I get you just a little bit more more for four or five minutes, Coach? I know you're sure. tied up with coaching some players right now, but um, sure. why, why is this so? I mean, why do we keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again that's not working? I'm not just saying USTA – but uh, you know why are we why are we going back to dumbing down now and lowering the bar instead of raising the bar? I mean that's a big question. It's a broad question. But help well, parents out there Quick answer to that: I think we get focused a lot on how to manipulate those things instead of how to deal with them and inspire people to raise up and, and, and jump up over the bar and raise the bar higher. We'd rather lower it down, make people feel better, and manipulate where it's actually at. And at the end of the day, it doesn't bear any fruit, and that's why we really don't have a lot of Grand Slam champions out there. And I think that's the ultimate ultimate test in tennis, and I have not seen a Grand Slam champion that I'm not proud of to be a part of this sport. So, um but that's I see a lot of manipulation so we can control and, you know, make more money out of a sport that, you know, inspiration would, you know, end up doing a lot better for the kids. I, I look at it when my lenses are what's best for the kids. And sometimes you feel like you would like to help the kid by putting your arm around, tell them it's okay but it's not always all right to do that. They, they've got a lot more in there, and if you believe in them, they they can really do things that they didn't even see that they could do. But that doesn't show up until you've went through a lot, a lot of years of pain and, and toughness because it's a tough sport, and it, it beats you up like probably no other sport emotionally. So, um, you know, it, it's easier to do it that way. It's easier to pat people on the back and tell them, hey, you know, 
I'm not going to tell you really where you're at. I'm just going to tell you everything's great. And then the kid knows everything's not great because they went through all the emotional stuff on the court and, uh, they want they want answers and that they can uh, go out and, and achieve things at a higher level. So kids know, but it, then it gets tough. And if they don't they don't think that the person that's around them mentoring them understands that, then they'll they'll naturally try to lower that bar. So that's that's a lot of the reason that I see out there. Yeah, uh, we said on the program today we've talked about freedom mainly freedom. In the on the freeway, not I hate the, the term pathway. Pathway again, people are trying to can that you've got to do it this way. That's what government control does, that's what socialism does. And I don't want to go too much down that, but basically, we are babying the kids. When you lower the bar, that's a socialist mentality. When you give a participation trophy and lower the bar you are not allowing the cream to rise to the top at all. You're not allowing the top dogs to run forward. When you play no-ad scoring, you're not allowing the best players to win. When you're playing tiebreakers for the third set or you flip a coin, you're not allowing the best players to separate themselves from the bunch. And by the way, the players know that. The players all know it. uh, And I'm talking 12, 13, 14-year-old players all know it. They all know what you're saying is the truth. Yeah. You know, there's they're, a controversial move. Go ahead, Coach. They, they are as frustrated with it as you are. That's the part that, you know, I think a lot of people, and, and I talk to parents, and they basically say, I'm just in this for a short period of time. What am I going to do? I don't think I can fight it. Because they all know. They all know it's wrong. They all know it's not going to work out but they don't know what to do about it. And if they, if they could, they feel, I feel like they would, if there was, if there was something out there, I feel like they would, but everyone knows what you're saying. The kids that put any time and effort into it, stand what you're saying, but they get these other pressures on them to perform at maybe wrong times because people don't understand what it takes to get to, whatever their best is, then, you know, they put these, these pressures on them at the wrong time and all of a sudden the manipulation starts up again. So, yes, I mean, that's that's right on. Coach, Coach, have you got a minute to list? I, I don't know what your time schedule is, but, yeah, I've got a three-minute clip from the movie Whiplash. Listen, folks, we're describing what we're describing. There's a movie out right now. It's about four years ago. It's called Whiplash, and if you'll go and listen to this. Now, listen, the language is terrible. Some of the stuff, you're going, oh, my God, it's so over the top. Yeah, the actor in it, the, the teacher is way over the top probably by anybody's norms or standards, but it's done for that reason to show this kid surviving Everything the teacher threw at him, everything, all the humiliation, everything, and in the end, the kid comes through it. He comes through it. He's a drummer. Now, do you have a second to listen to this quick clip, Coach Blumendahl? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay, I'm going to put it on, folks, and listen. Listen. Here we go. This is from the movie Whiplash. I'm sorry. No, listen. Hey, I'm sorry. I get it. I know I made enemies. 
I'm conducting a little well. They brought back the JVC Fest this year. They got me opening in a couple of weeks with a pro band. That's great. Yeah, it's all right. Truth is, I don't think people understood what it was I was doing at Schaefer. I wasn't there to conduct. Any fucking moron can wave his arms and keep people in tempo. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that is an absolute necessity. Otherwise, we're depriving the world of the next Louis Armstrong, the next Charlie Parker. I told you that story about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker, right? Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. Exactly. Parker's a young kid, pretty good on the sax. Gets up to play at a cutting session, and he fucks it up. And Jones nearly decapitates him for it. And he's laughed off stage. Cries himself to sleep that night, but the next morning, what does he do? He practices. And he practices, and he practices with one goal in mind, never to be laughed at again. And a year later, he goes back to the Reno, and he steps up on that stage and he plays the best motherfucking solo the world has ever heard. So imagine if Jones had just said, well, that's okay, Charlie. I, I was all right. Good job. And Charlie thinks to himself, well, shit, I did do a pretty good job. End of story. No bird. That to me is an absolute tragedy. But that's just what the world wants now. I wonder why jazz is dying. I tell you, man, and every Starbucks jazz album just proves my point, really. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. But is there a line? You know, maybe you go too far and you discourage the next Charlie Parker from ever becoming Charlie Parker? No, man, no. Because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. Yeah. The truth is, Andrew, I... And, folks, uh, the movie Whiplash. And, again, the language is terrible. Watch it by yourselves. Coaches, watch it, not with your young children. But it, you know, listen, it it expounds on the message here today and the message that Coach Blumendahl was giving. But it is right on. Do we lower the bar? Do we continue to lower the bar to make people feel good, to make players feel good, the marketeers, so that the marketeers out there that just count the numbers and count the money are happy with our game. Do we continue to play no ad scoring just so that the marketeers are happy that maybe we're making the game easier for those people who haven't learned how to win by the toughness and the conditioning and all those things? And should we dumb down the game and continue to play 10-point tiebreakers so that the marketeers 
we didn't make little Johnny who hasn't trained uh, tired and hot. And I'll tell you the most ridiculous thing. I remember this has been 15 years ago, but I can remember uh, the late, great David Mark, and he was the president of the USTA at one time, and uh, he was always the referee at Kalamazoo. And we were there, and they had a bunch of kids keeling over the first day when it was 85 degrees in Michigan. And this uh, one referee, oh, my golly, this is so hard. This is so tough. It's so hot. And uh, David looked at me, and he, he said, my golly, these kids can't even get through a round or two now. And I said, it's not that it's too hot. Most of these 17-, 18-year-old kids have been drinking. They drink. And when you use alcohol, your heat tolerance is zilch. It's nothing. And it's just a joke. So how are we going to make champions? How are we going to make champions out of a society like this where we're dumbing down and socialism, the history of the world, has never worked? It's not going to work for tennis as well. Folks, I cut Coach Blumendahl off there. I apologize. He's a great one. And we will have him back on the show very soon. And uh, that's pretty much it for American tennis today. Folks, all I'm saying is that, look, in Thomas Jefferson said, in matters of principle, you stand like a rock. Matters of method, you can flow with the stream. And that's exactly true. The structure of what you do is important. The fundamentals are important. I'm not saying they're not. However, the cookie-cutter details are individual. It's up to the individual to be in love with the game. And you know what? We're not going to do that if we keep developing systems instead of learning how to inspire young people. Young people need to be inspired, not shove a formula in front of them. And, daggone it, it is frustrating as a coach. But let's keep digging in there and stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said. And God bless each each and every one of you. And we will see you next week. of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with the win or loss. Stay up with me on my website at chuckcreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E, chuckcreasy.net. And, folks, we will see you next week on American Tennis. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network.
Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.